Data validation is the process of ensuring that data is accurate. In many software domains, an application is pulling in large quantities of data from external sources. That data will eventually be exposed to users, and it needs to be correct. Radius Intelligence is a company that aggregates data on small businesses, among other things. In order to ensure that business addresses and phone numbers are correct, Radius uses human data validation to ensure that their machine-gathered data is correct. On today's episode, Srini Kadamati hosts an interview with Dan Morris about human data validation and how it fits into a machine learning pipeline. Before we get to this episode, some quick announcements. If you would like to advertise on Software Engineering Daily, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. There are 14,000 engineers listening to the show every day, so it's a great place to advertise available jobs or new products. And if you're a developer looking for an open source project to work on, Software Engineering Daily's community has been working on a project called Software Daily. We're building an open source news and information site about software. And if you're interested in that, check out softwaredaily.com. You can also check out softwareengineeringdaily.com to join our Slack channel. You can search for old episodes. You can check out the back catalog, or you can sign up for our newsletter, Software Weekly. With that, let's get to today's episode, Data Validation, with Srini Kadamati and Dan Morris. So you gave a talk at Spark Summit 2016 on using human data for validation. Um, what was your kind of overall premise of the talk uh, for people who haven't seen it? Yeah, so the the big premise there is that so much about like data science is sort of predicated on this idea that machine learning is this magical wizard tool that can solve all your problems. And and that's largely true, but it operates on the assumption that you have really good quality data. And in the world that we work in with business data, firmographics, um, you know, contact information, that sort of stuff. The data is very rarely of the cleanliness and caliber that you actually can just plug right into a machine learning algorithm. So a big part of our day-to-day is uh, making sure that we do have awareness of how good our data is and that we can prepare enough of it into a clean form uh, that we can actually train machine learning algorithms to kind of bridge the gap between uh, a little bit of validation and the full universe of validation, which is really incredibly costly. Yeah, interesting. Um, pretty cool. So, to give just to give uh, a better sense of uh, where the validation fits in, do you mind kind of talking through the full data pipeline and where validation kind of fits into that whole whole process? Sure, sure. So, uh, Radius, the company, is a predictive marketing company. Our ultimate product is designed for businesses to um, better identify the customers that they might target effectively uh, from the universe of all possible customers. And so to do that, uh, the engineering team has to build a graph of essentially every business in America um, so that we don't need to rely on our customers' data for featureizing business records. and so to do that, we start with data from tons of different sources. Um, well, not tons, but you know, dozens. And 
each of them has their own opinions. Each of them has their own sort of strengths and weaknesses and the types of data that they specialize in delivering. And so our challenge is to sort of consolidate all of that into one canonical source of like ground truth or at least our best estimate of what the sort of ground truth of all of these businesses is. Um, and so the validation part comes in because we need to um, we need to know which how which of our sources are actually giving us accurate data, um, which fields are more accurate than the others, um, which sources are better at certain fields and certain values, and as well as on the end of the pipeline, um, how good are we doing? You know, how accurate are we at kind of preparing this final version of truth, and is it better than our sources are? And um, and generally it is. That's kind of the whole point. Otherwise, what are we doing? But, yeah, so as far as the actual pipeline goes, um, we essentially take the raw data from all these different sources, um, of course, acquiring it and parsing it and cleaning it and standardizing it is, a, is the big part of the early stages of the pipeline. And then we build a graph of all these different records to actually match those together, which belong to the same business. Um, with these sort of subgraphs, we can create a single instance of a business and then resolve all of the differences in opinion about the attributes of that business. Um, once we have that in place, then we essentially have a single record for every business in America, and sort of every business location, I should say. And from there, we can build another graph that actually joins the businesses of the same company or the sort of locations of the same company together based on their shared attributes. Um, and then we have not only uh, all the business locations in America, but also the sort of companies and the organizations and uh, a bit of understanding of their structure and the relationships between each other. No, it makes sense. Um, so how does, you know, there's, there's millions of, uh, you know, small businesses in the United States. So how, how do you, um, how do you do validation on millions of businesses? Obviously, you don't do them all. So what kind of statistics and what kinds of techniques do you guys do to understand, like, okay, this source and this property, this, like, you know, sampling some amount of it is, is enough for, you know, manually? Like, for what, sure. How, I mean, do you, how do you, what are the statistics behind that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's kind of a classic confidence interval problem. So the, the statistical estimate of how many do we need to sample to have this confidence interval is pretty straightforward. Then the challenging part there comes from um, like knowing if we can just truly sample randomly or if it actually there are some sectors of the economy that matter more to us. So this is kind of where the product management kicks in and it's more than just an academic problem. Because it may be that you know restaurants are a more valuable target to our customers, um, who are by and large trying to market to a really broad range of businesses. And so restaurants, or um, I don't know, other service providers, or other kind of companies that are more valuable, should kind of be weighted more heavily in our accuracy estimates um, if we're connecting the sort of scientific accuracy with sort of product accuracy, I guess you could say. Um, but ultimately, I think that the real benefit is that um, we don't have to sample and validate everything. Some of our, some other like data providing companies, uh, they don't have machine learning, they don't have data science, they 
have just a massive call center. And so they'll actually get phone numbers for all of these you know, tens of millions of small businesses and call them all on some sort of a monthly or yearly recurring cycle. Um, and, and sure, like if you can have confidence that your validation procedures are working properly, um, then that is a reasonable way to ensure accurate data. But it's very expensive, and it requires that you keep doing it because that data grows stale over the course of weeks, months, years. Um, and so it's only as good as the last time you validated it. But because we can validate a small sample and use that to actually create training data and then train machine learning models to sort of score and predict each of these values that we want to assign to a business, it lets us have comparable or like even better accuracy um, and to do it every week, every two weeks um, when we build a new snapshot of basically the entire economy. So I think our method is better and it's certainly in keeping with the trend of data science, machine learning as the kind of better way to handle a lot of these complex business problems. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it seems like you guys are uh, really trying to combine the best of kind of data science and machine learning with what you know, humans can do well, obviously. And it seems like there are a lot of, it seems like that's even like a great maybe recipe for new companies or new efforts. It's like look at areas where the approaches are either completely data science oriented or completely human oriented and like they're not really kind of marrying the two well. Um, for sure, yeah. There's probably a lot of companies now that are starting to do sort of like human in the loop machine learning. Um, and whether that's sort of purely in the way that we do it, kind of validation, where these questions are not something that you can just point to a machine and say, is this the right phone number? You have to actually have a human interact. Um, or whether it's looking at a picture and the human says, well, that's a picture of a you know Welsh Corgi uh, versus a golden, golden retriever. Uh, and then the computer can say, okay, well, great. Like Now I know this distinction, and the next time I try and classify a dog picture, I'll have a better sense of it. That's really interesting. Um, I think what's especially great that I enjoyed in your talk is just how, uh, I think, ruthless and kind of aggressive in a good way you guys are on using both techniques to complement each other well. So, for example, I really like that you guys even used machine learning to um, to go the other way, which is basically try to understand how good a human validator is. I thought that was really interesting. For sure, yeah. And, I mean, ultimately, what we're finding, and I think this is interesting, if you look at, like, um, some of the stuff, like, Andrew Ng is doing, um, and that he'll talk about how there's a huge difference between 95 and 99% accuracy with, say, like, voice recognition or, um, you know, image recognition. And that's the difference between like a cool trick that you can use and something that you will like use in every part of your daily life. And if you look at kind of the, they actually create accuracy metrics there for like human recognition of, of speech and find that now like machines are actually starting to surpass actual human accuracy, which sort of speaks to this idea that like, yes, humans are great. We are them. Yes. <laughs> right, right. We've done a great job of evolving as a species over all these millions of years. Um, but we're designed to, to be humans. We're not necessarily designed to solve certain kinds of problems. Um, we're very adaptable and we're very flexible, so we can do a lot of different kinds of things. But um, 
over time, we're learning that more and more tasks are can be better done by machines. Now, just to the point of accuracy of validators, um, a, a lot of that is predicated on the fact that our human validation is our source of ground truth. And because we can't trust any of our individual sources to be ground truth, they're all flawed in various ways. Um, and certainly our validators are not perfect either, but because we are using them as ground truth, we have to be as like diligent as possible about making sure that the sort of accuracy they have is close enough that we can consider that, you know, rightfully. And so, um, yeah, I got a question at the end of the talk that I was actually kind of pleased to get because it was something we'd really thought about a lot. And that is, well, you know, we can't expect all of our validators to be perfect. Um, and in fact, we may not even really have personal relationships with many of them because they are on a team and we work through the manager of that team. Um, but if we want to be really sure about some value that we're validating, does it make sense to have three different people validate the same information independently and then check to see if they all agree on it? Well, yeah, that that is effective, but it also blows up your costs by 3x. And so a, a way to sort of reach that goal without having to linearly multiply our costs is to... Um, how to sort of test the validators up front with test questions. So um, if they're, you know, there's a hundred examples they validate. Um, you know, if they're first hundred, we actually seed 50 of those with things that we already know the correct answer to, then we can determine how good they are at that task. And if, if they come through with flying colors and they get everything right or close to it, then we know that, that, that they're trustworthy and so we can trust their further answers alone without having to have some sort of agreement with other validators. Um, That's really interesting because I've seen a lot of people who try to do human validation do exactly what you just described. And maybe because, again, they can afford to do that because it's like they're using mechanical torque and it's just like simple five cent, ten cent tasks. It's not that big of a deal necessarily. You just sure. have ping the same, you know, ping the three different people with the same task and see if they agree. But it seems like, uh, you know, it's a, this is a much more effective potentially technique when sure. each, each actually, you know, task is quite expensive. And of course, I mean, to get to the scaling problem, like it's every, everything that we do has to be done at really large scale and, and linear doesn't really cut it in terms of cost, um, in terms of time. So we have to find ways around that. Another interesting thing, too, is that given kind of the nature of these human validation problems, let's say we have a uh, people that are making phone calls to businesses. If you have three different people call the same business and ask them the same kind of questions, um, these are not customers of that business. They're, not, they're kind of, in a sense, wasting a little bit of that company's time. And, of course, we want to minimize that. We want to... Part of the design is that we want our our validation questions to be as quick and painless as possible, um, both because we don't want to waste anybody's time that much um, and because we want it to be really clear and accurate. If we have people making these full, long conversations, then that's uh, inefficient, but it also kind of pollutes our clarity of data. You know, We want the questions to be simple. Um, is this the right business? Is this the right address? Um, you know, is this the right phone number? Something that's really clear and simple that is hard to have any uncertainty about. 
No, makes makes sense. Um, so what what kinds of attributes have you guys found that you can validate with humans, and uh, which ones you can't? Sure. Yeah. So uh, phone number is a great example um, because the the very act of calling it already gives you information. So the first question we'll typically ask is, does the number connect? And if the number doesn't connect, then we know, well, not only is this the wrong number for this business, but it's the wrong number for any business that might have it. Um, but if it does connect and you do reach somebody, then it's, is this the right business name? So we give them the phone number first. Um, once the number connects, then they look at the name and say, okay, is this such and such business? They say, yes, great. We can usually ask one more question like, is this the right address or does such and such person work there? So we can kind of try and kill a couple of birds with one stone there. Um, but we find that that's, those are questions that we can be pretty confident about the answers. Um, similarly, websites are really easy to validate for the most part because um, our human validator can put that website into their uh, you know, search bar, see what's there, and it's really clear whether or not that's the right website for the company. Now, for the most part, and of course, there's edge cases, there's redirects, there's um, you know parked pages. But over time, we kind of understand more and more of these common edge cases, and can actually bake those into the instructions for the validators, so that when they encounter that, they aren't tripped up. Um, now, some of the more complex questions are things like, um, is this part of a chain? You know, does this business have multiple locations? And so um, for the most part, questions like this will use sort of web research validators. And even given a chance to sort of search the web for this, um, it can be a harder question to answer because it isn't so clearly defined as, you know, is this a yes or no? It's, um, well, what if it, you know, you find two locations, but it looks like one of them closed. Does that count? Um, what if it's an agent for an insurance company, but they seem to be operating independently? Well, so there's a lot of kind of more complex situations there. And even internally, it's a little bit challenging for us to define exactly what we mean by chain. Um, because ultimately we, we have a particular purpose for this in mind, which connects to our customers and their sort of segmentation demands and desires. Um, but each of our customers might have a slightly different idea about what a chain is too. So we kind of have to define what it means to be a chain and then do the best that we can to communicate that to the validators. But um, there's a lot, of, a lot of challenges there. Um, and then there's some things like um, headcount or revenue, which are really difficult for anybody, any validator to determine for a company. Um, and that's because companies don't necessarily want to disclose that information. So, so basically, the easier it is to find information is based on how much a company wants you to know that information. Um, Makes sense. So Interesting. Um, that's pretty interesting. So I also wonder if, uh, so obviously a lot of various customers are using uh, the data, you know, for sales and marketing efforts. Is there kind of a human uh, human data validation on their end like that you guys benefit from? Um, in a sense, yeah. There's, there's sort of a network data effect that I think is one of the stronger points of our, our business proposition. Um, 
and that is that our, our customers, uh, their sales teams, their marketing teams, they have a lot of interactions with these businesses as well. And if they are well-documented via like CRM software records, um, and they give us permission to use them. Now, that's kind of interesting because a lot of companies these days are very kind of tight with their data. Security is a really big, important thing. And I mean, we as a company have had, made a lot of efforts to make sure that our security is very strong, um, more so than I think most of our competitors at this point. Because we realize that in sort of the modern data climate, um, you have to have that trust and that security that if you're going to let someone else have access to your data, that you know they'll keep it in, in good hands and they'll keep it secure. Um, and security, but as well as sort of usability. So um, some customers of ours don't want us to use their data for anything except for giving them better results. And so that's fine. We'll do that. Others are more allowable for us to to say uh, use that data for validation, but not for enrichment. So if they know that a company has this phone number and they have used it to talk to people at that company and they have, they have data records to sort of confirm and validate that, then we're allowed to use that if we already know that that's the right number for the company. We can say, okay, we have confirmation, therefore we'll ensure that. But if we don't have a record for this company without that phone number, we're not allowed to actually add it to there. So um, it's, I mean, from an ethical standpoint, we do a, a really good job of making sure that we're not you know, breaching anyone's trust. Um, from an engineering standpoint, it's kind of interesting to actually encode that sort of ethical logic um, and to make sure that every data point we have coming into this pipeline, and of course there's you know, billions of them, you know, hundreds of billions of them, um, the ones that are sensitive need to be through the entire pipeline labeled as such and handled appropriately. Interesting. Um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, there's probably some unique challenges there. I'm curious what kinds of existing tools you guys have used or what tools you guys had to build for yourselves to handle that kind of stuff. Uh, the validation procedures? Yeah, the validation procedures. Yeah. So um, I'm not actually sure of any tools that are, that are pre-existing for validation. I think most of what would fall into that category are more services. So Mechanical Turk, Crowdflower, what have you. Um, those indeed are kind of a like single solution for common validation problems, but they, um, they're expensive and there's certainly the sort of overhead of translation and all that. Um, so the, as far as tools go, we, we built all of our own for uh, sort of experimental framework, um, sampling, uh, processing into experiments. Of course, we know a whole lot about a company with a phone number, but for the validator, all they need to know is the phone number, the name, the address. The, so the whole framework that we designed is about transforming those data points you want to validate into both their sort of simplest essence for the actual validation process and retaining all of the information on our end that we're going to use later for either building training data or running analyses of sort of aggregated validation statistics. And to take all of that and then prepare the data and aggregate both for validation and for our own analysis. 
Um, and then also when it's complete, to actually bring all of the labeled data back in, process it, and integrate into our pipeline. Um, so that was all something that we built um, in basically in PySpark, um, which is I think a great tool for the task here because it is you know it's Spark, so we can scale it up to as much as we need. But it's also in Python, so um, we can build it quickly um, and it can be kind of maintained by our data scientists um, without necessarily really like hardcore engineering going into it. What, what kinds of related tools or services do you think should exist or do you, do you guys wish existed that would help make the job easier? Um, one of the things that we would like to have, and I, we are certainly working on, but is is challenging for a few reasons, is kind of a um, like a validation dashboard. So, um, if you're imagine you are a human validator, you um, you may have a list of tasks that you need to work through, and, but it's really ideal if you just have one thing in front of you at a time. So this dashboard that gives you very clearly, here's what your task is right now for this one example gives you clear buttons to press for all the possible outcomes. Um, you know, if there needs to be a text input, it gives you the simple text input um, and kind of simplifies that whole process so you can work through them with really efficient speed, but also very um, accurate input. Um, certainly all of the data that's labeled and returned to us needs to be parsed into a format that is usable. And so the more flexibility there is in the input, the more difficult it is for us to make sure that, that is the right quality of input. So, so having a dashboard form would be really nice. Um, and certainly to extend that further, a, a dashboard that allows our validation teams or the managers of those teams to actually um, manage the full experiment, allocate examples to their workers, um, and kind of keep an eye on the actual quality of validation and sort of the efficiency of their workers would be really great. But it turns out that um, the, the teams that we work with, in many cases, kind of have their own solutions for these problems built in. And they're really reluctant to let us come in and say, oh, we're going to build you a dashboard and you will then use it. Because, you know, they, they have experience with this problem. They have something that works for them. And so that uh, the kind of adapters between our pipeline and their pipeline, um, you know, is, is a challenging problem. Ultimately, we have, some, we have a solution that works. And the most important thing for us is certainly the accuracy and the speed that we can get this validation done. And so we've, we've got teams that work well and we've got processes that work well. Um, but ultimately, it would be really cool to have a like end-to-end pipeline where we could actually kind of spin up a new validator quickly and then allocate tasks ourselves. Um, maybe over time we'll get that head that direction. But you know, we're still very much a startup, and so we um, we kind of tackle the problems that are in front of us, the ones that need to be done, and then. When we get to a good solution, we we run with it um, and move on to the next problem. And so, um, right now, our our validation pipeline is flowing pretty well, and so we, um, you know, we're letting it work and we're we're focusing on, uh, you know, larger pressing right. issues. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
Have you guys found any cases where um, you guys were using human validation at a large scale and then you were able to kind of train models and you realized the data didn't change all that much, all that frequently, and so you were able to actually reduce your dependence on human validation for that one attribute or feature? Is that something that's kind of come up at all? Um, I think because we're able to run this, these validations at a scale that is not terribly expensive. Um, we, we still do most of our primary validations for every build we run. So uh, about every two weeks, our, our primary builds go out. And a big part of this too is not just for building machine learning, but actually for um, analyzing our own accuracies. And so for that problem, it really is important that we have accuracy metrics for every single build. Um, and so that, that's one of our major use cases for sure. A big, a big part of the talk that I gave was, you know, yes, human validation is cool. Um, you know, it has its challenges. Here's kind of the technical approach to it. But the fact that we can use these same data points for both this really key analysis that lets us know if we're on track, where we need to focus our efforts, and also to train machine learning um, that continues to make our accuracy better over time. Um, you know, th these are two very important components and both need to be, you know, accounted for. So, um, even if our accuracy is high and stable for a given field, we're not going to stop validating that, um, because we need to be aware that we're still there. And we, for that matter, um, you know, all the sources we have are other companies essentially, and we don't have visibility into their internal processes, their logic, their decisions. If anything has changed, a lot of times that is just um, passed forward to us in their data without knowing anything about it. So, so a big benefit of this sort of positive feedback cycle is that we, um, we're robust to those changes because we're just retraining perpetually with new information. Um, and it may, you know, if something major changes without us knowing about it, it may take us a couple of cycles to catch up. But we have enough sources that are sort of redundant and robust. So we don't expect any, any single source is not going to make or break our pipeline at this point. And so, um, yeah. But as long as we're staying on top of it, then we'll be kind of... Uh, safe from that kind of issue right yeah it seems like it's always good to have that kind of reality check too where even if you think uh yeah. you know you know the state of everything things can change mm -hmm. pretty quickly yeah and also i mean our as an engineer i'm really focused on on building and on improving and on making this like really cool pipeline and process work but we're we're surrounded by you know product managers and by executives who have their own priorities, which are, you know, certainly in line with ours, but um, they're not going to read our code and say, okay, I like this code, This, therefore we're happy about this. They're going to say, well, what are the results? And so if we can constantly show the results and that they are, they're strong and they're improving, then that kind of buys us the freedom and the flexibility to focus on the things that, um, that we know are important, but that are kind of harder to, to prove or to convince. Yeah. The or, or they're a lo longer term, they require a lot of kind yeah, of... For sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the kind of fun and interesting challenge, too, is how do you balance those longer term engineering goals that 
may not necessarily have an immediate metric response, but that in the long run are going to be a really strong model and that are going to allow us to do a lot more things. So the fact that we have consistently good results and that we've built this pipeline that can prove it, um, that helps to bias that, that trust and that, that time. Interesting. Um, so going back to the validation dashboard and some of the other things you've mentioned um, working with these managers, it seems like there may be some benefit to bringing um, some of these people kind of into, into the radius uh, company structure instead of kind of having them work outside of the company. So how do you guys yeah. think about kind of insourcing? Yeah, outsourcing? that's well, we, we've done a little bit of everything. I mean, we for the last basically year and a half that I've been working there, um, have tried different things, um, ranging from having sort of um, independent consultant validators that actually kind of worked sort of in-house to these like very third-party teams. Um, and at, at the scale that we need right now, which I guess you can call kind of a medium scale, it's, it's um, not the scale of our you know, data providing competitors who just validate everything, but it's certainly not something that we could actually uh, just hire a handful of people to do all themselves. Um, so for that reason, it is pretty effective right now to have this have third-party teams um, whose managers have a lot of experience in this problem and in this field, um, and who can get us to that scale we need. Um, I don't foresee us scaling it up much higher because, again, kind of this, the value proposition is that we don't need exactly, a ton of yeah. like We, we can like, get everything we need with this much. Yeah, it's possible that something may be wrong if, if you do need to kind of get to that scale, right? Because if the, the whole premise is that you can combine both of them well, then you shouldn't need as much human validation as your competitors. But I think that there is a use case that we have for some kind of more high-skilled validators, I guess you could say. Um, who can work on more kind of curation problems that are more challenging, more difficult. Things like, um, what is the headquarters location of this company? Um, that not only needs to be determined via web research, but also needs to be input in a format that is immediately usable for us without having to have one of our scientists or engineers um, actually sort of revalidate and standardize that address. So. Uh, so, but un unfortunately, it's kind of one of these problems of human validation in that um, people who would be really good at that job uh, tends to be a little overqualified, and they probably would get bored, and they would rather be working on something else. Um, and so it's kind of hard to find good quality people in that middle range of you know, not not to say that our human validators are like low skilled, but this is something that you know you could. This could be a good first job out of high school, or you know, th this is something that um, you can work and you can you know perform well without a lot of experience or training. But if you have that experience and you're good at this, then you probably would be good at a lot of other things too that maybe right. more, maybe more intellectually screen. challenging. No, it makes sense. I mean, it reminds me a lot of, uh, like, I mean, like Stitch Fix, for example, they have a huge, I mean, they don't really have human validators, but they do have this army of stylists, and those people sure. need to be somewhat fashion literate and yeah, it's a little yeah. bit more of a skilled job, which makes more sense for their product. For sure. Interesting. Um, yeah, I always found it really interesting that they, 
as essentially a like fashion company have a really enormous data science presence. So. Yeah. No, yeah, it's pretty... I think they have over 100 data scientists and even more stylists, which is just... Uh, yeah, this is really impressive, actually. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I guess style is a really challenging problem. You know, it's a little bit more challenging than just simple data accuracy for for sort of facts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, cool. So the last question I had was, uh, so you mentioned some of these potential ideas and projects for things that don't have immediate value, but maybe of a long-term interest. Uh, if you could, like, what are some what are some of those, or what is one that you find especially interesting that you've been working on or um, would like to work on? Yeah, so kind of the big push that we're working on now is, I mean, we, we speak of the radius business graph as our core data, um, you know, proposition. And, and we do indeed have a lot of graph processes and a lot of graph um you know, algorithms that, that allow us to do some really cool things internally. Um, but we haven't really yet surfaced a lot of that to our customers in the form of a graph at this point. So, um, yeah, a lot of what we're working on now is to actually process more and more of our data in this format to the point where we actually, all of the information that we have um, can be and should be related to each other in that graphical form. It's just a natural fit for the underlying data itself. You know, so um, to to build that internally, we're we're well underway, and and many of the like problems that we have dealt with are now done in that graph format. But to to take that one step further and actually kind of have this living, breathing like graph of all the knowledge that we have acquired over time, and to translate that into really like even more valuable insights that we might not be able to do at a per business level um, is kind of the next big challenge, I think. Um, but again, you know, we're we're a startup. We are very focused on the problems of our current customers to do a better job of solving their problems and delivering value to them. Um, and those of kind of our future customers as well. You know, what what are the, as kind of marketing automation, marketing technology, and predictive marketing uh, becomes more widespread, as the, the people who are the chief marketing officers understand more about data and, and machine learning and the value it can provide, and they have more confidence in, like, giving up some control of things that they've been doing for a long time uh, and trusting that they're going to get good results from these, you know, upstart, you know, data nerds, um, then we'll have the freedom to deliver more, you know, good solutions and solutions to new problems that are still very much human processes. Um, so I think that the big thing for us now is that we, we build a really strong data model that is going to be robust to a lot of future problems that we haven't even thought of yet. And I think that having this big graph of all the data we have is, is a great fit for that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's just so many applications. It seems like that, you know, yeah. of the data. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, uh, thanks for your time and uh, for sure. thanks for coming on the show, Dan. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. 
check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono.